Welcome, listeners, to another exhilarating episode of the Broadcaster Podcaster. I'm your host, Mitchell Workman. I'm thrilled to announce that we have a special treat for you today. In this episode, we're shining the spotlight on the newest sensation in the world of audio broadcasting. Get ready to meet the one and only Tyler Chopper Thompson. That's right, folks. Tyler has taken the industry by storm with his fresh perspective, contagious enthusiasm, and a deep-rooted passion for all things audio. From the first time I met Tyler, I knew he was destined to make waves in the audio world. Join us as we take a dive into Tyler's captivating journey from his humble beginnings to his meteoric rise as the new kid on the block. You'll hear first-hand accounts of his inspiration, challenges, and groundbreaking ideas that are redefining the very essence of what it means to be an A1 in today's fast-paced world of sports broadcasting. So buckle up and prepare to be inspired as we embark on a thrilling ride through the mind of this rising star. Without further ado, let's welcome Tyler Thompson to the show and discover the magic that he's set to bring to the world of sports audio broadcasting. I am here with Tyler Thompson from Kansas City. Are you Missouri? Wait, are you Missouri? Missouri. Oh, Absolutely, Missouri. Missouri. Um, where I got my first start in racing, uh, I raced at Green Valley Speedway. Um, not that that has anything to do with broadcast, but why not? So, Tyler, how are you doing? Doing good. Happy to be here. Yeah, so how is the weather up in uh, Kansas City right now? Uh, it finally turned to fall, so it's a much-needed change from our string of 100-degree days. Yeah, we uh, Sunday we had our first day of fall, and uh, Monday we went back to summer. So, you know, that's the part of living in Florida. So yep. Tyler and I met last year on XFL. We uh, had a blast trying to piece all that together, and I hope we get to do it again this year, but we don't know um, with everything going on. But Tyler, you know, <clears throat> those podcasts is for us to get to know people in the broadcast industry. And let, how did you get started in it? I got started about, it'll almost be 10 years ago, uh, with a small group, a uh, packager group out of Kansas City called Niles Media Group, uh, run by John Dennison and John Sprugel. And I had just graduated college and had started working in the film industry. And I was, we were on one late night set, like, probably midnight or later, just one of those gruelers where you're sitting around doing nothing, started talking to one of the actors, uh, Rich Svosik, who's now assistant SID, not assistant SID, uh, assistant athletic director at UCF. But he was an announcer for ESPN at the time. Well, and he said, hey, there's this group. Want me to send an email to crewing, see what happens and I got an email saying would you like to do this high school football game for us we can't guarantee that you're going to be an A1 but we'll start you out as A2 and you'll also do something called Red Hat after you go through setup and the training for that and that was kind of my foot in the door moment of doing that uh, so, your, so your technical first job was a Red Hat my technical first job in sports broadcast was Red Hat, yes. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever met somebody whose first job was Red Hat. Usually it's Parab 
or right. <laughs> game day utility or something. But uh, I don't think I've ever met a Red Hat as their first game. Okay, interesting. Yep, it was, All right. Yeah, it was effectively audio uh, utility for the first half of the day. Yep. And then switched to Red Hat during the game, which for someone who knew nothing about broadcast, the count from the producer just to get the break was the most stressful part of the day for me. Yep. But that I can only imagine. Yeah, it was an interesting way to get in. And then everything snowballed from there. And I spent about two years A2ing with a mixture of E2. And yeah, it kind of snowballed from there. And then you went, uh... went on with another A1 who's a really good friend of mine, uh, Nick McCabe, to be. Which I know. The two A1s. And we then went on to do other positions at the company, but that was kind of the start into larger scale broadcast. I, okay, so I'm just going to throw this out there. My new nickname for uh, Mr. McCabe is going to be Secret Service McCabe. Um, <laughs> after watching the game this weekend and him standing back there with his arms crossed and his, his aviators on, uh, yeah. it was it was entertaining for me. Um, he uh, just got off crewing with him or a crewing call with about him and in our shows that we're doing together. We, uh, Tyler and I get to do, uh, uh, field pass with Pat McAfee, not, uh, McAfee field pass because that confuses people. Um, you were an A1, you were also doing, uh, comms if I'm not mistaken. Right. So right after that merger happened, uh, there was a massive infrastructure expansion that was happening and they needed a very large scale comms infrastructure to be purchased, installed from scratch effectively. And that's one where you want to talk about getting into the industry. It's cutting your teeth by fire. Oh yeah. And it was, I knew my way around AZ edit and other softwares that were used at the time, but, sitting down and just spending free time learning how large scale systems were made and then getting a completely first birthday system and then installing it and doing everything to it was the best learning experience I could have ever had in my career. Yeah. I, I had something similar to that whenever I was, uh, I started out as a utility and then I went as a PA and I learned how to run every piece of equipment you could possibly think of. And then uh, they one day just said, all right, well, we're, we're eliminating your position and we're going to go to freelance with you. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, at that point I was a teacher and that's where I learned a lot of the things that I learned was, is in, when we were going from analog to digital, we were switching over. So you're, you know, the school systems don't buy brand new equipment. Right. We get right. hand me down from all the other networks or, or all the stations around and, you know, that's why you kind of build a rapport with all the TV stations around here. So you get their old equipment. And that was like my first like engineering job was learning how to do all that stuff and how to, you know, how the signal flow worked of everything. And, and, uh, I owe a lot of my success to that was that learning experience. Right. And I think it's honestly the most valuable thing that we can do in this industry. And it's something that, doesn't get, I think, shared enough is how you have to push yourself internally to just do it. Yep. And sit there and be the one to go, 
I might not know everything about it, but I'm sure as heck going to be the one to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And then just if you need help, find the resources internally to learn it, hear it. Like at that point, uh, Sebastiano from RTS, I kind of leaned on him for some of the stuff that I didn't know. And he was gracious enough to kind of take time out and go, okay, it's not necessarily a support call, but we'll get you to where you need to be on some of the more IP based stuff that was happening with RTS yeah. at the time. Cause it was kind of right at the front end of when the Odin frame came out and things like that. Yeah. And, and you've been doing this how long with 10 years, I think you said a little over 10, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'm, I'm just ahead of you by, I don't know, a few years. And it's, it's one of those things where we've seen a lot of changes in 10 years. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's, especially these days i mean like we have what nine of our crews right now are doing everything maddie over fiber whereas right you know before you had to run everything over uh dt12 and whatnot i mean let's just go back to this weekend you had what one fiber to the field and that had all your audio on it yes yeah, so we were one fiber to the field backed up by one dt and then we had a vendor providing and we were fiber over there backed up by one dt as well so it's large signal counts. We do the backup just as a backup. It's one of those things right. where if somebody cuts a fiber, guess what? We have a backup. It's right there. Um, Sometimes, you know, we, it's one of those things we never hope to have to use it, but it's always there. Like, right. but when you go see a show nowadays and you see, you know, especially like you with the L crew, I mean, look how much stuff is hooked up to that truck and oh, it's just fiber, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely insane. It, whereas, you know, 10 years ago when you started, there would have been like 15 DT12s running off the side of the truck, you know, and 100 coax cables trying to figure out where everything goes. Now it's like, okay, well, we ran three TAC12s and um, everything's right. done. Or I think they had like some TAC45, not TAC45, some TAC48s, you know, it's yeah, it's crazy how much we've done in the, in the last 10 years. What do you think is the biggest change you've seen uh, in the last 10 years? AOIP. I think it's it's got to be AOIP. Yeah. And like on the engineering side of it, just the switch from taking copper and getting signals around to, okay, now we're going to go to fiber to move Maddie. Yep. And then the next transition of that is, okay, we're going to have Maddie, but we're going to have Dante alongside of it. Yep. Or now 2110-30. Yep just all these other protocols that are coming along the line of moving things in an IP ecosystem and how do we control them? How do we have different interfaces that streamline the process and keep it as similar to the workflow that was there, but also utilizing a more efficient way of doing things. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, technology is, is over, ever, ever changing in this business as right. we know. But my question is like, how do you stay up with it? Like, is it just, you just learn on the job? Do you read magazines? Do you just talk to other people? So for me, I've kind of always equated, well, I guess really we'll go back to like college first because in college, I, my degree is in uh, recording arts. Yep. So music based studio recording. And one of the things that my professor said to me at the time, Bill Crane was you have to be able to use technology well enough to expand your art form 
And what he meant by that is what we do is an art, the technology you have to not think about. You just have to absorb it and it has to become second nature. Yeah. And it's the same thing for this. And I've equated what we do to being a specialized doctor. Correct. Where you get med journals that come out, you get all, and you have to constantly be educating yourself on what the now is, but not just that, but what's going to be the sixth month, what's going to be the year, what's going to be the five year and knowing how it could all potentially impact you. So it's a lot of it you learn on the job practically, but you also have to be ready for that change when it hits you. So when the 10 to, or when the 2110 stream came in, no pun intended, it was, we know it's coming. So we've been reading about it for three years and getting AES magazines, getting the different standard protocols, getting all the different stuff and reading it and learning about it so that when it hit us, we could just go, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the gear we need to adapt. In our case, when that change happened for me, it was uh, wallers and monitoring. And then also understanding the implications of that once we make the change of now we might not be using Dante to route, we might be using RCPs. Yeah, I really wish that uh, there was more audio professionals like you in our business. Um, You know, it's, I'm not going to knock anybody. Uh, There is some people that still want to do everything analog and they don't want to come up with the times. And what they don't realize is, is yeah, analog is, you know, it, it's very great. Like it's, it's pretty reliable. The thing is, is the things we can do these days, it makes our life so much easier once you figure it out. And I don't, not to, I guess this is me kind of pushing back on a grander scale. It's not just the ease of IP. Yeah. We're asked to do more and more and more. Correct. And we have outgrown analog. Yep. As a whole, the infrastructure we're running for large scale shows has outgrown DT. And you're not, it's just so much more efficient to use multiple types of IP transport. Yeah, because we use um, on uh, Field Pass, we use the uh, Dark 16, which is. Uh, what, what do you have on one? You have a rednet on one side, which. Uh... Right. So you have a rednet to code on one side. Yep. And then that converts into Maddie to get into the truck infrastructure. Yep. And then it's all over fiber over a Dante network right. from the Dark 16. Two strands. Yes. Which I don't know. Well, I'm going to guess Dark I've used them. I don't know how many how many inputs and outputs it has, but you know, what you can do with that one piece of equipment, it's going to take how many DT-12s? Two. Yeah. Like you're, well, it's actually going to take more than that because it's 16 by 16. Yeah. So you're at four DT to cover the two strands of fiber. Yep. And that, and that does, and I mean, it's, it's, do we push our luck because we have all, you know, all that fiber we run and all that stuff. But at the same token, I mean, it works and it works well. Right. And it makes, things just are so much crisper and, and, and quicker to get to you. Um, we don't see as much of, you know, the, um, the noise that you hear in analog, um, especially like here in Tampa. Like if you, if you've never done a game in Tampa and somebody says, Hey, come out right. of Tampa and do a, a game at Amelie arena, just say no. 
audio in Tampa Stadium or at uh, Emily Arena sucks, right? There's always a hum. There's always right. some, you know, unless you're going to run it on fiber. If you can run fiber, then you're fine. But as soon as you start using that DT12 that's been in that stadium for 30 years or whatever, I don't even know how old that stadium is, but it gets a hum no matter what you do. Right. And we spent a good amount of time talking about like the large scale shows. Yep. And don't want to overweigh like the massive benefit for the entry level to like school level and above like shows. Cause yeah. now all of a sudden you can make these into fiber runs. You've got smaller infrastructure. You don't need as much gear. You don't need as much space. Yep. Like the benefit towards extending the lower end and the educational shows is massive and it's also at least in my experience a much easier language to translate to kids that are learning yeah especially yeah especially this day and age where that's that's they you you speak their language when you start talking differently when you start talking analog they're like what's analog um right i mean i i still go to school i don't go to school i'm out of school. I still go back to the school I graduated from. I still talk to go in there and talk every semester. Beginning of the semester, I go in there and I talk to the students. Um, I'm on the advisory board to help make sure that they're learning what they need to learn to get into our field. Um, I had a couple weeks ago, I had a game in Tampa that one of our crews was doing. And I got them out there and I got them to see and like to open their eyes. You know, it's one of those things when you're in school to play town where you go to school, you don't always know what's out there. Like right. you went to school for mixing concerts and stuff, right? Did you ever think you were going to be in sports? No. And that was coming from at like sports junkie. Like I played all the way through high school and I had chosen music over sports. And then to find out that the industry is actually far more stable in broadcast than it was in recording. Yeah. I won't say more stable than concerts cause that's going to be there for eternity, but it's, Definitely, it was. I was very much closed off to the idea of it even being a thing when I was in college. Yeah, and that's and that's what I go back to school and I talk to these kids is try and tell them. Um, I mean, you know, you and I talked about we have a shortage of comms people, like good comms people at that. You know, it's right. There is guys like you who can do comms probably in their sleep, um, but that's not a hundred percent what you want to do. You want the art of mixing. Right. For me, that's like my personal goal. But with that being said, there is its own art to comms. Like when you have these large shows and you've got 15, well, 15 is an exaggeration. When you've got four different brands of gear that you're linking together. Yep. And you're linking multiple geographical sites into this equation. It does become an art form and a skill. I think it is very much just undervalued as a whole because it's just one of those we go into show and expect it to work but we don't think about what's required for it to work oh yeah and and it's it, it's always interesting i'm sure you've had friends and family come to shows and they're just enamored by with what we do oh yeah um even on small shows like i had a show where it's like a five camera show and everybody's like oh my god this is amazing i can't believe that and i'm like okay no wait till you go to national championship and there's 15 trucks all connected by fiber. Everybody's connected to each other and you need this thing over here or PGA championship, which I was showing you earlier, right. my, you know, um, my Emmy that I didn't win. Um, but you know, it's, 
that's 40 trucks and the the video guys in that truck may not be operating the cameras from that truck they may be operating camera in a different truck you know a half mile away you know it's it's the big shows are important especially because that's usually what wins emmys but as at, at where we work right, right um the small shows are just as important because i mean i think we they said we had 500 something college football games this year yeah that we're airing i mean that's a lot no i mean i'll never forget when i was kind of starting out and it was right as espn plus was becoming a thing yeah and they sent out basically a letter at the front end of that saying we expect the same level of quality as you would give for a linear broadcast on these shows. And yep. it's absolutely true. Like, Oh yes. Cause as a viewer, and that's the other thing I try to equate all the time. It doesn't matter if I'm watching a lower level college football game, take like D two or something like that. Yeah. I'm used to viewing an ABC broadcast on Saturday on TV. So that's my expectation. Now to the flip side, that's a huge expectation to meet, but we can at least get to the standard. Yeah. And it does your does your wife or in, in your friends and family do do uh do they get annoyed trying to watch TV with you? All the time. Yeah. That's it's, one of those things for us. We have a problem. Like if we're watching something right. and we notice something, especially I have a hard time. I am guilty of this, as you probably know. If there's something wrong and I know who's on that show, I mm -hmm. let them know, hey, there's something going on. Like uh, with your show this weekend, it wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything. And I didn't even right. text you because I knew there was nothing you were going to be able to do about it. But it was so loud in that stadium Oh yeah, that you could barely hear the announcers. And I'm like, okay, does he have his effects off? And then I was texting with Bob. He goes, this is the loudest stadium I've ever been in. And I'm like, right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. And it's the expectation of normalcy i guess when we go to watch a show like just sit down last night there were two college football games and it was opening night for hockey there was something going on on one of the two football games it happened to be a show that i knew who was producing and directing and i knew graphics on it and i was going hey guys did you like start out on qkt and it was kind of one of those uh this isn't right and you're right. we have a problem because i immediately turn to katie and go listen to this and she goes oh yeah that is weird yeah yeah my wife's my wife even picks stuff up now and she's like oh that wasn't right and it's just hilarious yeah and that's where it's like they got it rectified and it ended up being one of the stronger shows on last night yeah but it was just kind of that uh, everything okay? <laughs> like, yeah. How far in it are you guys? <laughs> not to not to go super deep in the weeds, but a QKT is basically your backup audio, right? So that way, if you lose your whatever, they have a phone line that goes back, and the audio is not great. Yeah, no, <laughs> but it's there. Um, and and as you said, most people that are in this industry that that pay any attention to it knew exactly what was going on, right? Or knew there was a problem on site. Well, and I think that's that's the hard part, especially like for those of us that have spent any time like engineering or QCing. Yeah. It's our job to watch the entire screen and listen for any potential problem. Yep. And as much as you try to turn it off, the minute something happens, it's your brain just instantly reverts to, oh, this is happening. Yeah. 
and there's no off signal on that because it is so reactionary. Yeah, and it's it's hard to turn it off too. Like it's yeah, it really is. My wife, that's probably my biggest complaint to my wife will ever say about it is I cannot turn it off. Right. I it does not matter. Like I'll be sitting there and all of a sudden I'm thinking of something and I'm like, okay, let me turn this on. Let me see. Oh, okay. I, you know, it's I, I would say my wife one day told me that you may be the boss on the road, but you're not the boss here. Right. Um, you know, and that's hard to turn off. Like the, like the whole work, the work life and I'm learning this and, and I know that you're learning this a little bit more now that you're in a different position. You were, you know, the last time. Right. But, you know, going from where I was for 10 plus years as an engineer and, and kind of being told what to do all the time. Now it's like, Hey, do you want to go do this? Or like next week I'm going to, you know, Houston for, um, CFP meetings for their tech summit. So that way we can get through all the nuts and bolts of what's going to happen for college football playoffs this year. And I was asked if I wanted to go and if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. And I'm like, yeah, I want to go. Right. Like, look, I got to learn, you know, or whenever I was on medical leave, I was always like listening to conversations on zoom calls and stuff like that. And everybody's like, you're not supposed to be on here. I'm like, dude, I can't turn it off. I need to listen. So I know what's going on. Right. So is there a way that you handle your work life balance? Like, you know, do you, you know, I, I have a therapist, I have a psychiatrist, I have, uh, you know, people I talk to that kind of vent and stuff like that. Is there anything that you do for your like mental health or, you know, or, or um, to make your relationship with your wife better? So mental health, I don't do enough. And I think that's something that kind of gets, we put it on the back burner cause it's such a grind. Yep. Like once the season starts, the season goes and you just go. Yep. I've always made a point of, so when I started, I had noticed an extremely high divorce rate of people I was working with. Yes. They just kind of all shrugged it off a uh, casualty of what we do. That's correct. And I was like, that's not good enough. Like that to me, that wasn't an answer. So I've from the start things I do, it's absolutely important to me to take as much time as I can when I'm home to my family. Yeah. It's things that I watch on TV. If they're sports related are games that, I want to watch yeah Royals games Chiefs games things like that rather than just having sports on in the background yeah. as whatever's on so I find alternate forms of entertainment for me it's a lot of gaming playthroughs on YouTube yep or Twitch or things like that just things that aren't related that I have no part of which for me is getting smaller and smaller of a pool yeah. because now I've done music I've done theater I've done pretty much everything you can do in the entertainment side of audio and it's trying to let it all go and focus all right I step off the plane my job is to get home and forget about everything that happened yeah and it's I don't even really like debrief or vent about a show and it's I've created a pretty hard line in the way I think about it yeah and it's compartmentalizing what's at work is at work what's at home is at home now if I take time during my day to review a show and how it sounded yeah or I call it studying to watch a Devin show or a Wendell show and kind of keep tabs on how other top-end shows are doing yeah that's 
time I take out and that's all I focus on for that hour or two. And then I separate it back. So yeah. it's, those are all things that I try to do. Am I saying I'm successful in that? No, no, it, it's hard. <laughs> no, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it, I mean, my wife and I, we've been together in February will be 20 years. Um, we will officially say it is half of our lives uh, in February. Right. right. It, it does not it, like a lot of people will see us and go, wow, you guys are such a happy couple. And I'm like, you have to work very hard. Yes. Especially whenever you travel. I am lucky now, whereas I don't travel as much, which I mean, I love the travel part of our job. Like that's like being able to right. hang out with you guys and, and, you know, like go through the trenches and do all this hard work with you guys. It's amazing. Like that is what I love about our business is no matter what is going on, people at home don't know what's going on. And at the end of the day, like we get through that and go, holy crap, we just did that. Like, I'm, I'm sure, especially after this weekend, you felt that, uh, right. you know, and, and I wasn't even there with you guys and I was stressed out because, you know, I planned a lot of that stuff for you guys and you guys are trying to take my notes, which are not, you know, my engineering notes and right. put a plan together and say, okay, this is what he had envisioned. Let's see what we can do. And until four o'clock on Saturday, after your game was off air, you guys were off air. I could finally breathe, you know, and it's right. I wasn't there with you guys and I, and I was sad I wasn't there with you guys, but I still know that feeling of that, just that feeling of we did something that not a lot of people understand what all we had to go through to put that on for them, you know, and then with our wives and our kids and our families and everything like that, my family honestly is having a hard time realizing that I'm home, like not even my wife and my daughter, because they see me all the right. time. And especially now that I work from home, so I'm always here with them now. Like my mom was like, oh, are you home? I'm like, yeah, mom, I haven't traveled in three weeks. Oh, yeah. Right. I forgot. Well, when are you traveling? I was like, I'll leave Monday and I'll come home Wednesday. And she's like, wait, you're only going to be gone one day? And I'm like, yeah. And she's just like, you know, my family's even kind of like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? Like, oh, you're going to be at right. Thanksgiving. You're going to be at Christmas. You're going to be at, oh, your cousin's birthday party. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's it's hard. It is very hard to be a, a traveling salesman or a traveling circus that we are we're you know sophisticated right. circus performers and it's even harder when we get home on trying to make sure that the ones that we love are not the ones that have to suffer from what we do right you know and I, like i feel bad for my wife whenever we whenever my daughter was born because i had to do this this is what we paid our bills and she wasn't working because she was at home staying taking care of our kid like and i felt bad because you know, I'm out there doing my job and, and having fun and she's at home trying to figure out how to take care of a baby, you know, with very little human interaction. And now that I'm in my office all day, I understand what she was going through, except for I don't have right. a baby. I have me to take care of and that's enough. Um, I'm not going to, I don't want to cut us short, but before we go, I have to ask, yep. is there anything for aspiring people that are trying to get into the business that, that you want them to know? Um, whether it be, Hey, find somebody that's good for you or however, whatever, is there anything that you right. would say to somebody coming up? If you're passionate about what you do, which I think most of us are who do this because otherwise it's just insanity. Yeah. You have to keep that drive. And for me, the drive is learning 10 years on. I still learn something or figure out something new about audio that I didn't know, or it's a challenge to, Hey, this way of compression might work better than yeah. this. I constantly challenge myself and that keeps it exciting. 
but don't just focus on whatever your skill or your art or whatever you might be passionate about. Know that networking is what drives all of this. Yep. And take the time to network. And if it's you find yourself on a crew, I was extremely antisocial at the beginning of my career. And didn't go out with the crew for dinner or whatever after a set day or yeah. didn't go to lunch with the crew because I wanted to focus on making sure that my EQ was right. Stupid decisions. Yeah. Okay. Rephrase that. Not stupid decisions, yeah, you know. but yeah, it's not stupid. It's just it's it's how you wanted to do it. Right. It, it's just different. Everybody has their way of doing their stuff and you wanted to be the best that you could be in your position that you were in. And friends wasn't right. the best thing for you. And I understand. And then an alternate answer to this is if you're looking at getting into broadcast and it's kind of one of those that you found yourself like we, I see a lot of kids that just kind of find themselves in it. Yep. So most of these kids are they've done audio in high school or they've done audio in college and they come out and go, OK, I can a want a show. <laughs> OK, you probably can, but know that this is a progression and the progression is actually part of the fun because once you learn what's going on in the field, then you'll know what's going on in the truck slash studio and yeah. enjoy the journey of getting to where you want to go. Don't try to skip the journey Yeah, because you think that you've gone through all this and you know everything. Trust me, I was an arrogant SOB when I started. As most of it was. Right. There are A1s that will tell you they hated having me as an A2. And in hindsight, looking at it, you can still have fun in all of those positions and work your way up. Yes. And it's all about how you hold yourself, how you approach everything going on, how you learn. If you get the chance to watch somebody better than you do what you want to do, listen. Just sit there and yep. listen. And... That will be the most valuable 15, 20, 30 minutes you can ever have. That's 100% correct. Yeah, I'm very thankful for the time that I got to sit in audio as an A2 and just listen to what really good A1s did. Yeah. And... Yeah, and everybody has that person right. that like, oh, I learned a lot from this person and I learned a lot from, you know, listening to how this person treated people even. Right. That's another huge part of this is treat people with kindness and care. Yep. And be as easy to work with as you possibly can be. And that will get you a lot further than knowing everything. Yep. That is 100% correct. And... I uh, I owe a lot of what I've learned on the road to my first two years of college football. Um, I'm not. I'm sure she doesn't listen, but uh, the way that Cindy Pennington treated everybody in her crew didn't matter where you were from or or what you looked like, male, female, did not matter. She was going to treat you with respect, and you were going to respect her. But she also made it a point to make us all feel like we were family. Like it did not matter who you were. Right. Uh, you know, we went out one time to Billy Bob's or Billy, I don't know, whatever the world's largest honky tonk is in Fort, mm -hmm. Fort Worth, Texas. And we had every single type of person you can imagine went to 
this world's largest honky tonk from a hipster from New York to the redneck boy from Florida. You know, everybody says I'm a redneck because I live in Florida, but um, I guess I am. But, you know, I, I equate a lot of the way I treat people and the way that I like, you, you know, I, I've, I met you last year and, and right. we became friends and I treat you with respect and you, you treat me with respect. But we also like we're going to we try to do stuff that, uh, you know, it, it, whether it's a, a very light dinner or something like that. And right. again, <clears throat> I personally wanted you to come over and work on our show because I knew you would be good at it. So, you know, it's it's just by being nice and helpful and and. <clears throat> just being a good person can get you just as far as being great at your job. Right. You know, the, as long as you're good at your job, then you're more likely to get work, you know? And it's, yeah. And this, I think just as a side note, there was something said to me when I first started striving to a one. So I was kind of making the transition from a two to a one. Yeah. And there was, someone who I owe a lot to in my career, Colin Moran, he said, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Yep. As annoying as that was to hear at the time, it's actually one of the most truthful things that's ever been told to me. Correct. Because if you act with confidence, you're going to be less arrogant. Yes. And to every person who's starting in this industry, be confident that you know what you're doing and you will sustain yourself better. Correct. And then the last thing we're going to, that I'm going to say before we go yep. is one thing that you said, and I mean, I've been doing this since 2009 and every, every day I try to learn something new, especially with my new position. I learn new equipment. I learn new processes doing and stuff. Always be learning. You know, I know everybody says ABC, always be closing, right. but it's ABL. Always be learning. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Even Nick, I was texting with Nick. I was like, how did uh, this weekend go? You know, it, it was a different position for him than normal. He's like, dude, I learned a lot. I learned how the people in the field are working differently from how we, we do normal shows. Blah, blah, blah. Always be learning and right. just treat people with respect. And uh, most of the time you'll go far. Um, Tyler, I appreciate your time i uh i want yeah, no to make sure that you can get to the airport in ample time and i want to make sure i eat something before i have <laughs> afternoon right um between meetings and doctors and then back to meetings and more i don't even know I, my day is so crazy so i i really appreciate your time and uh i know yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that this will help somebody out there with listening to your story and how you got started and, and your words of advice to the people coming up. And uh, I will see you soon. I promise you that. Yep. See you in a bit, bud. Thanks. It's fun to be here. And that concludes another thrilling episode of the Broadcaster Podcaster. A huge thank you to my special guest, the sensational Tyler Thompson, for gracing us with his presence today. Tyler, your insight and passion for broadcasting have truly left us inspired and invigorated. I hope my listeners enjoy this insightful journey into the mind of the newest sensation in the world of audio. Tyler, your vision and dedication to the craft are a true testament to the endless possibilities within the broadcasting industry. Before I sign off, I encourage my listeners to stay connected and keep the conversation going. 
don't forget to follow us on all the major podcast platforms to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Join me next time as I continue to bring you the most captivating stories and fascinating insight from the world of broadcasting. Until then, keep spreading the magic of storytelling and never stop exploring the limitless horizons of your creativity. I leave you with this. The broadcast crew is the backbone of storytelling, ensuring that every word and frame convey the intended message. Thank you and good night.